continue to do so. Psalm 34 is our text this morning, Psalm 34. And we're going to read uh, just a handful of verses together, verses 11 through 16. We'll uh, find our text here in the 12th verse. But we'll read together verses 11 through 16, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, if you're new to the Bible, just open up right near the middle and you'll be pretty close to the book of Psalms when you open it up. And look with me at chapter 34 and verse number 11. Would you stand with me, please, out of respect for the Word of God as we read these verses together in unison, beginning with verse 11 and reading all the verses together uh, through verse number 16. Together, please. Ready? Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Our text is taken from verse number 12 where the Bible says, What man is he? that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good. What man is he that desireth life? I want to live. I don't know about you, but I want to live. Amen. And loveth many days. I like to have a good long life. Amen. And that he may see good. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, the good life. The good life. The Bible describes it for us here, and it's a description, and it's also a formula. And uh, I want to share my thoughts from God's Word with you this morning. Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let me convey what is so clearly laid out here in your precious Word. What a good life it is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those, Lord, who are uh, maybe new to the Christian life here today, and maybe some that will are here or that might later hear or see this message and, and wonder what that Christian life is all about, why folks smile, why they seem to have a good time, may they get a taste from thy word of what it means to live the good life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. In our camp schedule this week, we... Uh, we uh, would meet with the, with the kids in the morning for a devotional time. Then we'd have a chapel service uh, later in the morning around lunchtime and then an evening service. And in, uh, in the uh, uh, devotional mo- uh, time in the morning, uh, we stood in front of the kids together, uh, Mrs. Shook and I, and uh, she gave her testimony. And I add a little here and there along the way. But I wanted the young people to hear her story. And as we talked about this in advance of... The uh, in advance of, our, of the testimony time, the great desire that we had, and she in particular, uh, was to uh, convey to our young people, we have a strong emphasis, and we believe with all of our hearts that uh, our lives are not our own. We are bought with the price, 
And wherefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We believe that. The Bible teaches that. We are not our own. Uh, we are His. Amen. First by creation and then by redemption. Amen. He made us and then He bought us with His precious blood. So we really do belong to God. Amen. And uh, the world's philosophy. It's your life. Do what you want with it. And we, uh, we teach and preach strongly uh, that, hey, your life belongs to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. But sometimes in that, I think we don't uh, effectively convey that that life of surrender and giving up your life, your dreams, your ideas about your own life and giving that to the Lord, uh, that's the good life. That's the good life. Now, the world advertises to the opposite. The world teaches and sings and, and cartoons and, uh, and uh, makes movies about the opposite philosophy that life, the good life is when you get enough money to do whatever you want. And if that's true, if that's true, we're the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth. Why are we taking more mind-altering drugs than anybody else in the world? If prosperity brings happiness, then why are we the most depressed people on the face of the earth? Evidently, it's a lie, just like the Bible said. Amen. No, you're not. You're, listen, the, the, how thick that is in your pocket does not affect your happiness. That's a lie. That's an illusion. If your wheels in the parking lot are shiny or non-shiny, if your steering wheel is heated or non-heated, if yours goes vroom, 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 or go clink, clank, clink, clunk, those things do not make you happy. Now, that's what the world teaches, but it's not true. But God talks about the good life, amen? And, and as we talked about this, she said, sweetheart, I, I would really like to convey to the young people that, that this, this idea of surrendering your life to the Lord and consecrating your life to the Lord and and laying aside your desires for His, your dreams for His plan for your life, is a great life. And it is. It's the true good life. Amen. Somehow, I think we have, to a degree, equated the life lived in consecration to Christ as being some kind of great sacrifice. As though by surrendering our lives to Him, we're really giving up something good. Like, okay, I'm going to do this because He deserves it, you know. And I'll leave the good life behind and I'll serve. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? The life lived for Christ, that is the good life. I've been by enough deathbeds to know that when a Christian is slipping into eternity... They look back at their best days in life as the days they were sold out to Christ. Psalm 84, 11. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk upright. Now I say to all of us, we were preaching to the young people this week, and uh, I say again to the young people, I'm saying to everybody in this room, let me tell you something, my dear friend. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And here's the beautiful thing about the good life consecrated life, living wholeheartedly for Christ. You don't have to wake up the next morning with your head in a bucket of your own vomit. You don't have to wake up in jail and say, how'd I get here? Or God forbid, wake up in someone else's bed and say, how'd I get here? Hello? 
No, you can wake up with a clean conscience. You can wake up with joy. You can wake up with peace. Amen. You can wake up without a headache. Amen. This is a good life. In the testimony time, my wife described how that she was in a, it was a business class. I believe it was a business class. Mrs. Alinda, she admired and became a counselor to her in her uh, college days. And Mrs. Lindish was one of the older faculty members, and she just was a spirit-filled lady of God. And uh, she was, uh, uh, in the early part of the class, most every class would be open in prayer. And she talked about uh, one of her former students and how that her and her husband had made it to the mission field. They had given their lives to serve Christ in the mission field. And she had written back Ms. Lindish and talked about cooking her food on a little Coleman uh, uh, camping stove and in a very primitive uh, description, a very primitive place that God had taken them. And, but how happy they were to be there, how happy they were to be in the place that God had called them. And, uh, and my wife shared how that her heart just burned when she heard that testimony and she went back to her room after that class and she got down before the Lord and she said, Lord, I, that's what I want. I'll go anywhere in the world you want me to go. And, and I, I would be honored to. I want that. I desire that. And she, she did in fact uh, surrender to that. And, uh, we, we lived in a little $275 apartment in the basement of our house and that was everything. And first six months of our, of our married life with no phone. Boy, what a sweet time that was. And uh, certainly, I don't mean no cell phone. I mean no phone. And uh, somehow we survived. And uh, But anyway, it was just simple. And, and we worked our way through school. We paid our way to get, my, to get my, my college diploma. I was $800 short. I had to pay my bill to get my diploma. And uh, I had a car. And I, I, I put my car up for sale. And the man, first man that called me, he said, uh, 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 I want to come look at your car that's for sale. I said, okay, you can come look at it. I said, on one condition, I need $800 to, to, to get my diploma. And I said, do not come look at the car if you're not prepared to give me $800. I don't have time. I, I'm busy. And he said, I'll be right over. And he came with the money to bought the car, and I, I bought my diploma. Amen. I didn't earn it. I bought it. But no, no. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but that, I mean, we just, we, we, we lived tight. We didn't, we didn't have bunch of debt when we got out, but we didn't have any money either. And, uh, and, uh, and so she just in her mind resigned herself. We will always live very simply and we we're perfectly content with that. And we, uh, we were obviously laundromat folks, uh, in, in college days. That's just, uh, that's, uh, uh what we had to do at the time at this stage of our life. And we just kind of went with the mindset, Hey, uh, we'll, we'll just live simply. And, uh, but you know, we got here and the church had found a beautiful, rental home and immediately we had a home and and uh, old brother wicker is with the lord now newton wicker as he, he farmed and worked third shift for all of his life a world war ii veteran and just uh, lived a very simple life very simple home and and uh, he picked us up that first week in his old muddy truck he said pastor come with me and we went from one little second hand place to another second hand place and I watched that old man dicker over a used uh, 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 washer a used dryer a used stove a used uh, uh, refrigerator and buddy you talk about being a hero coming home with appliances woo and uh, and we soon realized that God was going to meet every need that we had every need that we had I remember coming home one day it was a screened-in porch. It's right here on 315 Tremont Drive is where we lived. And it's screened-in front porch. And uh, 
and the cabinets were a little bare at that time. This is early on. And we went out somewhere, went somewhere and came back. And the, and the whole breezeway, it just seemed like the whole thing was covered with groceries, but bags and bags and bags of groceries. And right there by the steps was a five-pound sack of potatoes. I'm digging through looking for meat. Amen. There was meat in there. And she's looking at that bag of potatoes, and she said, sweetheart, she said, this morning I was craving potatoes. I would love to have some fried potatoes. How many of you like fried potatoes? Yeah, a little ketchup on the side. Can I get a witness? Uh, anyway, she said, you know, I just, I, we didn't have much. And she said, I was just thinking, Lord, it sure would be nice to have a, a bag of potatoes. And she said, there's my potatoes. I said, yeah, and here's the meat, and here's the bread. <laughs> and I was, have no idea how they got there, who put them there. But the Lord took care of us and met our needs. He's met our needs all these years. And it's been a good life. It's been a good life. It's not been without pain. It's not been without sorrow. But it's been a good life. And I got news for you, young people, everybody in this room, everybody under the sound of this message. Listen, the good life is not the flashing lights. The good life is not what the world has out there. The good night is not the, is the boom, 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 uh, that the world's promoting out there. The good life is the consecrated life. Amen. I, I, I drove a straight truck, 38-foot straight truck for overnight transportation back in, in school for a while. In college days. And I remember having an inside delivery, which means you had to take the packages off, roll them inside the building. <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, it was some, some boxes, uh, about, uh, 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 about that high and had my dolly truck there, you know, and about that high boxes of silly string, silly, you know, silly string, right? And let me do that again. Uh, so, uh, I said, what, who in the world needs silly string? And so I'm in an alleyway right there in Chicago and, and, uh, back up this door and unload these boxes and take my dolly and go inside. And, uh, and, and, and when I went inside, the first thing I went in the back door, first two things I noticed, number one, it was very dark and number two, it stank. It really, it stank. And I was like, Ooh, what kind of place is this? This is creepy. And uh, when I got in there, somebody greeted me, and they signed for it, and uh, and uh, left the boxes of silly string there. And I started looking around, and I realized concrete floor and uh, some uh, like uh, psychedelic type colors stuff on the walls. And I realized I was in the middle of a dance floor. There's a bar on one side, and it smelled. And I don't mean to be unkind. It smelled like urine. It was dark. It was nasty. And I remember going out of there and saying, you know, this is my first time to ever be on a dance floor. I got news for you. Without the lights, without the booze, and without the boom, 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 that's a disgusting hole. Let me tell you something. If you've got to be drunk to have a good time or have something pounding in your head or a bunch of weird lights going off to have a good time, you are, you are desperately trying to manufacture a good time. i got news for you. There is a real thing called a good life in the Bible, and you don't have to go boom, 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 and, and da-da-da to have it. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes. This world tries so hard to manufacture, and they call it a good time. And all oh, the tragedy that comes out of that. All oh, the broken homes that come out of that mess. All oh, the, oh, oh, the injury, the bodily injury. All oh, the little children without food. All oh, the sadness and heartaches that comes out of the world's good life. 
I got news for you. There is a good life. Let's see how, where it comes from. If you look at your text here in Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 34, verse number 11. The wise man says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. How can you live this good life the Bible speaks about? Number one, the fear of the Lord. He said, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 2, 11 says, Serve the Lord with Fear. Do you know the, the employee that wants the work done exactly like the boss wants it done is the one that fears the boss. Now, the word fear here doesn't mean panic. It doesn't mean I'm scared for my life. It is a, it is a healthy respect. It's an awe. It's a reverence. It's, it's what you ought to feel and what we used to feel and what we ought to feel when someone who uh, is a law enforcement officer approaches us or we see them in the rearview mirror, especially when the little blue lights are flashing. Uh, uh, Brother Hamilton told me what that's like. Anyway, uh, but there's a, there's a healthy respect and a healthy fear that comes. Why? Uh, not because of that individual, and, uh, and, and, uh, but because of what that individual represents or is supposed to represent. And, uh, uh, and that is law and order. And uh, you can live in a country with chaos and anarchy and civil war, like some of the folks sitting in this room came from. Or you can live in an imperfect country that does have law and order. That doesn't mean everybody that represents us is perfect, but have law and order. And we ought to fear and respect that. And just like we ought to fear and respect the Lord. This good life, he said, let me teach you. It is a life of fearing God. Second Samuel 22.31. As for God, his way is Perfect. Verse 33, the text says, his, He maketh my way perfect. Let me, I want to take this thought about the fear of God somewhere. God is a perfectionist. He's a perfect God. He's a perfect God. He's a perfectionist. And the Bible says that He's in the business of perfecting us, growing us, maturing us, trimming off the rough edges of us purifying us as gold, the Bible says in Job. Ephesians 2.10 says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Literally, we are the canvas, and God's Spirit is the painter. Amen? God is creating in my life and in your life what we hope to be, the image of Christ, being conformed to His image. My life, the Spirit of God, is seeking to paint on the canvas of my life, a reflection of the beauty of Jesus Christ. So that when people see me, they see the glory of God. They see the love of God. They see Christ in me. We are his workmanship. We are his canvas. So in this sense, listen carefully, the fear of the Lord speaks to the sensitivity of the canvas to the painter. Don't tell anybody. This is a little bit embarrassing. I have a pen and paper fetish. Y'all won't tell anybody, will you? Please don't tell anybody. It's embarrassing. I love paper. I mean, like to a fault. And I love pens. And I love finding the perfect marriage between a pen and a paper. I have some paper that is thick and rough. And that takes uh, bold ink very well. I have extremely fine pens that I use to put a lot of my notes in my Bible. 
It doesn't bleed through the page. I know this is embarrassing. You're not going to tell anybody, are you? Uh, I mean, I really, nobody should care about pins that much. I have pins that match my outfit. I, I mean, it's terrible. I, I'm just pray for me, amen. And uh, but anyway, I, I, but they're, they're t- <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, and by the way, if you are with me in this, I'd love to have a witness or something here. You raise your hand, run the aisle or something. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm not the only person with this disease. Uh, but but there is something about finding the perfect pen with the perfect paper. And here's what we say. This paper takes the ink well. This paper takes it. Did you ever try to write, uh, to, to write on a chalkboard that had gotten greasy or shiny? And, and, and you, you just, it just slides across, you know, and it doesn't take the chalk well. You ever try to paint an unprimed surface with oil paint and it doesn't stick. Well, listen, that's, it, it, that has to do with the sensitivity of the canvas to the painter of the paper to the pen of the surface of the wall to the paintbrush. And that speaks, listen, when I fear the Lord, I am sensitive to Him, to His presence, to His desires, to what He wants. Listen to me, the good life is not do what you want to do, what you think will make you happy. No limits. If it feels good, it's right for you. No, sir. The good life is the canvas of one's heart that says, Lord, would this please you? Is this what you desire for me? Is this what you want for my life? Would this habit, would this music, would this, uh, uh, these words, would they please you? <laughs> so the opposite of, of being, uh, of the fear of the Lord in this, in this uh, uh, application is a sensitivity to the Lord, His presence, His desires for my life. So the opposite would be an insensitivity. It would be a hardness, an unfeeling, being numb, callous, or unreceptive to the desires of the Lord for my life. The fear of the Lord, the Bible said, is the beginning of wisdom. Being sensitive to the Lord is where wisdom starts. Okay, you make the application to music. The one whose ear is sensitive uh, to the music is the one who will begin developing their musical ability. The one in art who is a, a sensitive a, 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 in, in art and, 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 and uh, is the one who is developing their artistic ability. Uh, uh, the, one, the one who says, that, the, the little child, that colors the picture. So that's not in the line. And the one that's sensitive to the lines is the one developing the artistic ability. Uh, uh, the one that is sensitive, that fears the Lord, that hears his still small voice. And sees his hand in the circumstances of life. Recognizes he's there. Recognizes he's good. Recognizes his sovereignty. Recognizes his holiness. And wants to yield to his, God's desires for his life. That's the person who enjoys the good life. And kids sang a song this week. And I trust they'll sing it tonight for us. I just want to please the Lord. Be in his will in every way. If they live out the song they sang this week, they're headed for the good life. What a man is he that desireth the good life? Let us teach him the fear of the Lord. Can I tell you this, friend? Do you know God has an opinion about everything in your life? Did you know that? He has thoughts about it. He has an opinion. Well, this is what I like. You ever stop thinking, I wonder what God thinks about this. 
I'm not talking about things necessarily that are right and wrong. We might be talking about the place that things have in our life. Do you know what happens when a good thing takes first place in our life over better things? That good thing has now become a bad thing in our lives. And so the good life is the life that fears God. Here's a question maybe we ought to ask ourselves. God looks down our lives and he's very patient with his spirit to deal with us. First of all, he doesn't deal with us about everything at one time. You go to the doctor, and uh, the doctor says, come in tomorrow. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, uh, you got liver disease, and you've got uh, cancer, and you've got uh, uh, a heart condition, and uh, you've got, uh, uh, this, and we're going to do uh, 12 surgeries tomorrow, and uh, you come on in. You go, whoa! And uh, God is very patient. His spirit is very patient, and he deals with us uh, a little at a time and growing us as we're sensitive to him. He leads us more as we become hard. We, we forfeit what he's trying to do in our lives. So the fear of the Lord is to be sensitive. Here's a good question for all of us. If you want the good life, ask this question to the Lord. Is there anything in my life that you're just putting up with, Lord? Is there anything in my life that you're just putting up with? You know, there's some, some things in our lives that God tolerates. He doesn't hate them necessarily, he's not, but he's not crazy about them either. He just kind of puts up with them. You know what that's like. You know what that's like. We do that with, with people, right? Brother Hamilton was telling me some things about his wife this weekend, and he, he puts up with a lot. And uh, anyway, actually, she was telling me. But, but now, we know this in human relationships. Is that right? So when is a human relationship enhanced? It is enhanced when we become sensitive to one another's needs, and not just, I don't know how women are. And, uh, and you know, I'm in our, no, when you're, you grow, you become closer, you grow in that relationship as you become sensitive to one another and try to understand what the desires are and try to meet those needs and be in harmony with that. And the good life is not the callous person. Well, I'm saved going to heaven. Ain't can't nobody tell me what to do and cross your arms when the preacher says something you don't like and roll your eyes when the teacher says this or when someone suggests you want to be closer. That's my life. I'll do what I want. You go right ahead and you do that and you'll reap the consequences of that as well. The world paints that as a good life. A good life is a sensitivity to the Lord and His leadership. Look what else he says in our text. Verse number 12. What man is he that desireth life and love of many days that he may see good? Number 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking. God, the word keep there means guard, protect. Number two, you want, hey, you want the good life? The Bible good life? Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, govern your tongue. Govern your tongue. You know why a lot of people don't enjoy life? That little member right there. That little member, the book of James tells us, is set on fire. <laughs> Literally. That tongue right there, the Bible said, in that tongue is the power of life and death. I remember being impacted. I was probably 20, 21 years old maybe. And... Uh, and um, actually, probably 19. But anyway, I was working on a bus route in Chicago. And I never, I mean, when I went up there and started working in the ministry up there, working, running buses up through that city, I never saw anything like that. I was born and raised here in North Carolina. And I never saw the open drunkenness. I never saw uh, some of the things I saw. I, I, I remember one picking up one morning and, uh, and, and, I, and I heard some screaming. And I was going down the street to pick up some kids, come out of the house. And, and right there on the sidewalk there was a man straddled over just wailing, just beating. And I was like, what in the world? And I stopped and I gawked and the man 
she turned to look at me. And I'm like, and, and the woman jumped up and ran off. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and, so, and then I just, man, I went and punched his light. No, I didn't. I was like, Ooh, I don't know what to do. I never saw anything like that. I remember one morning, uh, early in the morning, and uh, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, in front of a house to get some little children about eight thirty in the morning, and uh, pick up some kids, put them on the Sunday school bus, and I heard in the alley back behind the building, Earth smash! And I thought, oh no, somebody had a wreck. Then Earth smash! And I thought, oh my goodness, another wreck. Then Earth smash! And I'm what? Three in a row, and I went down the alley, just a little space between these buildings, and went down the aisle, and there's a man drunk out of his mind in the in the car. I guess somebody parked too close to him. And he was revving up the engine, slamming it in reverse, and smashed the car in front behind him. And then he put, uh, revved the engine, put it in drive, and smashed the car. He smashed like three cars this way, three cars that way. I'm there going, Ugh. He looked at me as I, see, buddy, God bless you. And uh, I, I never saw so much pain and agony. And I remember a little girl, Carla, we visited her on Saturday, and she said, yes, I want to come. She was so excited. She wanted to come to Sunday school so bad. And we'd go to get her, she wouldn't come. And we'd go to get her, she wouldn't come. Every Saturday, I want to come. Yes, I want to come. And I remember bounding up the steps one Sunday morning to knock on her door again, hoping, hoping, hoping that she'll come. And I heard inside, inside the door, I heard the cursing and the swearing. And Mother, just the foulest language pouring out of her mouth, screaming at this little probably 9, 10, 11-year-old girl, and, and just screaming at her and cursing and swearing. And I, I just stood there in shock. And what child would have to endure such agony? And I waited for a little pause. I didn't want her to know that I was listening to all that. And I waited for a little pause. And I knocked on the door like that. And the door opened up. Little Carla standing there in the door. And her mom's behind her. And I, said, I act like I didn't hurt anything. I said, Carter, you're coming today, right? You're going to ride the bus, right? We're so excited about you coming. You ready? And she just stood there like scared out of her mind, not knowing what to do. And she, she looked at me and she looked up at her mom. And her mom said, well, don't just stand there. You told him you was going. I'm like, what? Seconds ago, I heard her screaming and cursing. You ain't going to that blankety-blank church. You blankety-blank piece of this. And then right in front of me, she, she yelled at her, scowled at her. We're not going out the door. That poor little girl's so confused. Let me tell you something, my, my friend. Listen, if 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 the world, the way the world talks to each other, if that's the good life, give me the bad life. I remember spending the night with Alan Britton. I've told you this; you've heard this, but I remember as fourth grader spending the night with my buddy Alan, mom and dad were out of town. It's a good home. They came to church, but I, I didn't know. Our, in our home, we didn't raise voices uh, except, pass the biscuits. That was the only time we raised voices. But anyway, but, uh, but Dad, did he didn't yell. We didn't worry about him raising his voice. We worried about him, son. When he lowered his voice, then the fear of God struck. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and uh, but I remember spending the night and, and, and hearing, laying in, the, in there in the bed, and, and hearing screaming. Through the night, back and forth. I was like, man, a lot. And I remember going to the breakfast table the next morning, and Alan's mother came in, and she said, John, I'm sorry you had to hear that last night. She apologized to me, and I thought, man, this is no way to live. The Bible says you will live the good life. Number two, you're going to have to govern your tongue. 
You're going to have to govern your tongue. We're living in a society. People think they can say whatever they want to say to, to whomever they want to say. I got news for you. You're a child of God. Your tongue doesn't belong to you. Your tongue has in it the power of life and the power of death. And it ought to be used to enhance life and not diminish life. The Bible speaks about the virtuous woman in her uh, 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 mouth is the law of kindness. The law of kindness. Yesterday I was uh, on... Uh, on the computer and doing some um, premarital counseling with a couple that'll be married very soon. And, and, and I, I didn't think about this this morning. I was reviewing my notes and, and I have a 14 principles of great marriages, uh, uh, that, uh, great marriages reflect these principles in their lives. And I thought, good night. And the first seven of them are about the tongue. Here, I'll just read them for you. And that way you don't have to come for premarital counseling. But anyway, but the first one is this. Uh, here's a principle. You want a great marriage, you follow these principles. Number one, we will use common courtesies in our home. Why do we show respect to a clerk at the store more so than we do our own family members? Hey, what about please? What about thank you? What about yes, sir? Yes, ma'am. Our tongues ought to be used for kindness. The second one, we will treat each other with dignity and respect. We leave no room for name-calling, sliding, critical words, or cutting remarks. That ought to be a law in our homes. Amen? Number three, I will give you the liberty to say what is on your heart without punishing you. If you need to redress something sensitive with me, you can say it, and I'm not going to berate you for it. I'm going to be open to it. Number four, I will not embarrass you. I will not say things about you publicly that embarrass you. I will respect you more than that. Number five, I will not confide in others about the intimacy of our marriage. I cannot understand people who talk about those things with others. Like, like your marriage is holy and sanctified anyway. Number six, I will not say anything negative about my spouse's parents. And, 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 and listen, I, I, I love my wife's in-laws. I love her in-laws. And um, you'll get that after a while. And, uh, but I also love my mother-in-law. Amen. But uh, number seven, disagreements with our children will be discussed privately and never in front of the kids. I, I just don't know, man. I just taught those principles. And, and, and they all have to do with the tongue. How many homes are being destroyed? By that little member right there. If you want the good life, you're going to have to use, learn to use your tongue to build. Learn to use your tongue to heal. Learn to use your lung, your tongue to encourage. Not to cut. Not to slice. Not to destroy. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The Bible said. I mean, this. My pastor for the house told this story. Years ago, there was a, a carload of teenagers, and, uh, and they were going across the bridge, and there was a terrible accident that took place. And there was one survivor, a young lady named Sharon Stromberg, in that car. They did not expect her to live, and she was in critical condition in the hospital. And every day the pastor was in town, he would go to that, where she was lying in a coma, and, uh, and he would get down to her ear, and he would say, now, Sharon, the doctors have said you can't live, that you're not going to survive. But Sharon, I'm telling you, you can live. You can. Sharon, you can live. Sharon, listen to me. This is your pastor. I'm telling you, you can live. You can live, Sharon. You can, Sharon. You can. You can live, Sharon. And for about 15 minutes, he would just speak truth into her ear and encourage her. No response whatsoever. Every day he was in town, he'd go to the hospital and he'd sit down and he would talk to her. He'd pray for her, express his love, and he'd tell her, Sharon, you can live, you can live, you can live. One day she woke up. Some of the other staff began to take care of the visitation needs. And um, it was about six months later, she rolled in the back of the auditorium in a wheelchair. 
She scratched out a note handed to an usher. And the usher came and laid it on the pulpit. The pastor picked up that paper, went back to his seat, and he opened up the note. And he said, Dear Pastor, I did love Sharon. There is power of life and death in the tongue. Let me ask you a question. What's your tongue doing inside the house? What's your tongue doing around your peers? All the good life is a person who has learned to use their tongue for good. Number three, look what he says right here in the text. Look what he says, verse 13. Want the good life? Fear the Lord. Want the good life? Keep thy tongue. Guard thy tongue. Number uh, number, uh, 14, depart from evil. Depart from evil. The word evil is sin with the intent to hurt. That means you get away from it. He said, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Get away, get away, get away from the evil crowd. Get away from the evil places. Get away from the evil influences. Get away from the evil sounds. Get away from the evil habits. Listen to me, young person and older person alike. There are some places, listen, here, (laughs) there are some places you know as a believer you don't belong anymore. As a child of God, there's some places you don't belong anymore. I want to say this, and I know it's 4th of July coming up, but let me tell you something that's sad. It happened in Rome, and it's happening in America. Nearly every holiday in this country has a good, sanctified purpose behind it. Memorial Day. Remember the fallen. Uh, uh, 4th of July. Thank God for our freedom. Thanksgiving. Thank God for those who came and, and chartered those uh, those waters and risked their lives to help this place be established and how God spared the lives of those early pilgrims so that we could have this nation. What a wholesome thing. Uh, Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a sad uh, commentary on a nation is when nearly every holiday we, we celebrate debauchery and drunkenness. It's, it's an excuse for adults to act like heathen. Listen, how about we how about we think about the blood that is represented by the blood in that flag right there? How about we think about the freedom and the price that was paid? How about we, we do something wholesome and live clean and decent and pure and be the salt and light that God wants us to be and say, well, it's the 4th of July, let's go debauch. How about let's be holy, amen? Listen, the good life is a life that departs from evil. That says, eh, we don't, we don't, God bless you. Hey, come on with us. No, thanks. What, you're too good? Whatever, man. No thanks. Yeah, but we're going to. That's all right. Appreciate it. No thanks. Let me tell you something. You are a fool if you can hang around. The, you think you can hang around the wrong crowd and not be affected by the wrong crowd. You're lying to yourself. You're a child of God. You ought to have new habits. You ought to have new, a new crowd. And you say, well, I don't have any friends. Hey, come hang around here a little bit more. Amen. Come hang around here a little bit more. Get close to God's people. Look what else he said this in verse number 14. Depart from evil and do good. You know what it said about Jesus? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Do good. (laughs) Do good. You want to have a good life? Do good. That's not rocket science, is it? (laughs) Man, let me tell you something. The greatest satisfaction you'll ever have is by spending your life doing good. That's what God made us to do. The Bible said we're not saved by works. But that verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that says we're not saved by works is followed up with the verse that says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
God has so crafted our lives that he will put opportunities in front of us to do good things that bless others, to work for the betterment of others. Let me tell you, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of our church staff. I'm so proud of our servants, lay servants in this church who for the last two weeks or so and in vacation Bible school, moms and dads are little children. I mean, hot and sweaty, up early in the morning. Some of them work night shift up early in the morning, going to jobs and rushing home and get a little sandwich or something and get behind the wheel of a bus. And moms and little children out knocking on doors and trying to invite people, bring your families to, 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 uh, to vacation Bible school and then getting on those buses. And, and uh, one man, one man uh, uh, it, it, it was late. I mean, good night, 830. You, you pack a bus full you try to get them home and uh and, and the kids are getting home after 10 o'clock and i said the next night i said listen we're gonna miss you could get a vehicle i'll get a vehicle we'll help get these kids home and and uh one little girl's a brand new had come and i was delivering her my daughter and i out were together and delivering these kids home and 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 then we pulled in front of a house and and a man's on the front porch and he was waiting light was on he's like where is my child and i got out to explain myself and he said i want to know and uh, i see and boy i knew i said but man alive he said i want to know Oh, and he said, oh, hey, Pastor Shook, good to see you. God bless you. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> Evidently, I knew him, but I didn't remember. And I said, hey, good to see you too. I said, I'm sorry, sir. Oh, don't worry. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you're safe. I, 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 and I was like, thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> thank you, Lord. And those precious folks doing that till late at night, getting up early the next morning, all week long. And God brought in literally over a hundred souls came into the kingdom of God because of the efforts of people who spent their lives doing good. And somebody told me, they said, Pastor, I'm tired. I'm tired. And they repeated a phrase that I love. I'm tired, but it's a good tired. It's a good tired. And I guarantee you that uh, uh, the, the sleep of the kids slept uh, yesterday after a week of camp is as close to the sleep of death as you could possibly get. I mean, it's a, you, they came home bone tired, dog tired, but it's a good tired. Why? Because they've been giving themselves away all week long. Oh, listen to me. Listen, if you want, look, if you want a life of fulfillment, fulfillment comes from fulfilling. Think about that. You want to a fulfilled life. That comes from fulfilling. It comes from fulfilling the needs of others, blessing others, and that's where God fills your cup. Last, look what he says in verse number 14. Depart from evil, do good. Seek peace. Seek peace. The Bible says, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 6, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for strength. Brother Hampton, come here, man. A, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for strength. We are at a sad place. And listen, listen, it is absolutely wicked. It is absolutely satanic for anybody to provoke resentment among people in this nation. It is anti-Christian. It is anti-God. It is destructive to our nation when mouthy people stand up and provoke tension between people in this nation. Let me tell you something. We're God's people and we don't follow the battle line set by politicians. We are God's people and we love one another like the Bible says. That's what we do. We love people. But the, but the tension is, is people seek to rise that tension to a fever pitch until even kindness is misconstrued. Someone trying to do good is misconstrued. The Bible said a fool calleth for strokes. 
I could. Life in the hospital, sudden death. I, I could. But the Bible said that's so foolish. That's so foolish. You know, we're God's people. The Bible said we ought to seek peace. Amen? We ought to seek peace. Thank you. David twice spared King Saul's life. King Saul was incredibly vengeful and jealous and envious. And he sought to kill this young man. This young man, David, had blessed him with his heart playing, with his music, had comforted King Saul, was a faithful servant to King Saul, had killed the giant Goliath. And Saul became insanely jealous and sought to kill David twice. In a cave, Saul was resting. God put a deep sleep on all of his sentinels, on all of his men. And David was in the cave and David literally and his men tiptoed by these sleeping men. And David stood over the body of Saul. He had one of his men stand there and said, Listen, I'll put a sword through him. Take his life. This is your chance for vengeance. And David said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. No way in the world. And he cut off on one. He took his cruise of water. On another, he took off the, the hem of his robe, just cut a piece off of it. Went across a valley, called back, King Saul, it's me. And Saul says, wakes up and says, Who is that? Is that the voice of David? It's me. And he says, Saul, listen, I mean you no harm. Why do you seek to kill me? I love you and I want to be your friend. I'm loyal to you. I'm going to never, never come against you. I'm not trying to be disloyal. And he held up and then Saul looked down. On the other occasion, his water bottle's gone. And Saul said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Saul would make things right. And then he'd go back into that jealous rage and his words and his attempts, several attempts at David's life. Saul was insanely jealous. He was critical. He lied about David. The Bible says this. David, the one who sought peace. In 1 Chronicles 29, 28, David died in a good old age. It's one thing to die old. It's nothing to die in a good old age. Full of days and riches and honor. David was honored when he died. David was exalted when he died. He wasn't a perfect man, but he died in a good old age. He lived a full life. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Saul, the man who sought conflict, the man who used his tongue for evil, the man who uh, did not fear God. It doesn't say that about him, why he died falling on his own sword. The last part of this chapter, and I close in verses 15 all the way down through verse 22, talks about the goodness of the Lord. His eyes are open to the righteous. In verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh. Verse 19, the Lord delivereth him out of his affliction. Verse number 20, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. This psalm, look at chapter 34, look at the title underneath. This psalm was a psalm of David. A psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. While Saul was chasing David, David was in a wilderness. It was near impossible to survive in that wilderness. There was very few water sources, no food sources. 
And Saul fled down to where the Philistines were, the arch enemies of God. He had made a friend of one of those, one of the uh, 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 the leaders in 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 the among the Philistines, and he goes down there and found some refuge in this friend. Well, the Philistines were to go to battle against Israel, and here he is down there, and he's exposed when it's time to come to battle. And people say, "Wait a minute, that's David. That's a man who slew Goliath, our champion. What is he doing here? What is he doing among us?" And that's when David foamed at the mouth, and David pretended to be crazy, and God spared him, and he went back to that desert, and and went back in those caves, and saying, "God, I'm trusting you to keep me alive." And that's when he wrote this song. And in that close of this psalm, he talks about the adversity that he went through and how his life just within a breath, a hair's breadth of being killed several times. And in that, in, right in the middle of the enemies of God who could have easily just said, just one word, one finger could have had him uh, done away with, but God spared him. And, and David's life, this good life of which he writes, this good life that, of fearing God and using your tongue for good and getting away from the evil and doing good to others and seeking peace. This life is not, the good life is not without adversity. It's not without conflict. It's not without pain. He's in the middle of this situation. But he rejoices that God's goodness and sovereignty and plan is being performed in his life. And God in due time would take this season of affliction and put David on a throne as a humble man whom God could use in a great way. The good life doesn't mean no pain. It doesn't mean we'll have any enemies. It doesn't mean you won't have conflict. It just means that there's a God who's with you, who will love you through it and carry you through it. The good life. And I remember sitting in the parking lot in front of the Hawthorne Hotel. We stayed at the hospital for about 24 hours after the doctor gave us the news that there was about a 50-50 chance that our firstborn child, Abigail, would live. She was three months old. She had open heart surgery. And they, they said it's a 90% success rate. She would go on three weeks later to go on to heaven from that hospital bed in Brenner's Children's Hospital. But after she came out of surgery and the doctors let us go back and see her some hours later, might have been 12, 20, I don't remember how many hours, but anyway, finally we left the hospital so we've got to go freshen up. We drove to the hotel. We got the hotel parking lot and we just sat there in silence for a while holding hands, trying to absorb what had happened over the last 24 hours or so. And then one of us said, I don't remember if it was me, I don't remember if it was her, but we shared this thought together. You know, if God takes her and she doesn't make it, just think, we have just had the best three months of our whole life. And just think, God let us have her for these three months. What a good God. She would go to be with the Lord. Five more times God would take children from her womb, a set of twins and four others that we'll get to meet when we get to heaven. Yes, it's painful. Life is difficult and there's adversity. But you know, you ask either one of us individually, ask us together. We know we're going to see our little girl in heaven, Abigail, one day. But as we look back at our life, we would not trade that experience for anything. You say, Pastor, that's the good life. I got news for you. Lost people on their way to hell who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ have children die. But they don't have 
a good and gracious Lord to walk through those trials with them. That's what they don't have. And that's why even in the pain, a walk with God is the good life. Bow your heads, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed.